This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 110, and I am interviewing Dr. Jillian Murphy all about nutritionism, disordered eating, and how our current understanding of health actually gets in the way of being healthy. You can find all of the links and resources mentioned at summerinanin.com forward slash 110. Before we begin, I just want to remind you to please take a second to subscribe to this show via iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And if you haven't already done so, take two minutes to leave a review for the show like this one from Paige, Simply Wonderful. Summer's Fearless Rebel Radio is amazing. I have enjoyed listening to the episodes. She finds such amazing guests to be on her program. I've even listened to a few multiple times. She's a great body positive inspiration. Highly recommend this podcast for people getting off the diet roller coaster. Thank you, Summer. Thank you so much, Paige. That was so kind of you. You can go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, click ratings and reviews, and then click to leave a review or give it a rating. Lastly, if you haven't already done so, make sure you've got your hands on the free 10-day body confidence makeover. You can get that on my website at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies, or just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and you'll receive 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Dr. Jillian Murphy. Dr. Jillian Murphy is a registered licensed doctor of naturopathic medicine, having completed the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine's four-year postgraduate program in 2006. Prior to attending CCNM, Dr. Murphy graduated from the University of New Brunswick with a bachelor's degree in science and kinesiology. She has dedicated the past eight years to studying the psychology of eating, the relationship between weight and health, intuitive eating, and the most in-the-know strategies for exiting the diet cycle. She works from a health-at-every-size perspective. Jillian is a wealth of knowledge, and I think that what she offers you here today is going to be super interesting. Enjoy. Jillian, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. So I would love to start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about what inspired you to get into this work. Into body positive health at every size work or yeah. naturopathic medicine, all of the above. All yeah, the I mean, how did so, you get how did you get here from right. from where you started? Well, you know, okay, so always a long story, obviously, and I'll try to keep it as short as I can. But in my early 20s, late teens, I thought that I would 100% go into medicine. And a year into my undergrad, I just realized that I wasn't really loving what I was taking in school. And so I moved to Europe and became introduced to this 
this alternative world of health that was actually used, you know, because it's quite historically, you know, it's used within the medical system there as well. It was really widely accepted and used. And so when I went back to my undergrad, I became really interested in alternative health and holistic health and healing and decided that I would go into naturopathic medicine. At the same time, I had been a soccer player all through high school and university, and I decided to switch to running for a number of reasons. And so I started running a lot, and I was really interested in food because this was a big part of the holistic health world. And, you know, kind of ahead of my time, got into this whole like clean eating spiral, you know, and this was like way before anybody knew anything about nutrition. Like, People just thought I was, you know, admirable because I was so into health, but probably also a little crazy, you know, like what's a hydrogenated fat? Nobody ever heard of it, you know? Mm. And I was constantly like, look, it's in everything. It's in everything, you know, uh, trying to teach people. And so I don't know, this interesting, interesting thing happened where for the first time in my life, I was actually like really conscious of what I was eating and I was running a lot. And so I lost weight and I had never worried really about my body in a in a real kind of overt way. Like I, I knew that I wasn't like a supermodel, but I felt confident because I was an athlete and I felt good about my body overall. But people made so many comments about my weight loss, you know, and it was like, we're so proud of you. Like you look so much better, just like attention from men, you know, and it kind of shocked me into this place of like, what did I look like before? <laughs> you know, like, what is happening here? You know, I thought I was fine, but clearly, yeah, you know, I, I was not ideal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so there was just like this interesting meshing of me becoming increasingly anxious and worried about how healthy my food was. And then also this, this awareness of my body for the first time at around the age of 20, 21. And it really, it really grew into what we now know as orthorexia, mm-hmm. but at the time there was no for it, you know? So I would go see, I went to see, you know, a middle-aged sort of male doctor who was sort of like, what's the problem? You're just healthy, you know? Yes. And, and, uh, nutritionists who just didn't quite get it and therapists who, you know, I didn't fall into the categories of like their eating disorder categories. So they couldn't fully treat me. Like I just, I couldn't get any help. And so I had to work my way out of it, which I did through my twenties. But of course, you know, I was also in naturopathic medical school through the whole thing. And so I'm continually being fed information about how food and health and weight are really intertwined, you know, and I'm seeing that there are benefits to this, obviously, right? Like there's this, there's this really positive, you know, therapeutic alternative, that's amazing. But there was also something that just didn't quite sit right with me. You know, like, I'm like, there's something here that seems a little much. And I couldn't, I just didn't have the vocabulary for it. You know, even through my residency year, I would somehow end up getting a lot of women who were trying to work on their weight, you know, or women who were really obsessed with eating well. And I would sort of broach the the topic of like, maybe, maybe you don't need to lose weight. Like you've been here for three years working on this same thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, I want, I maybe this isn't the problem. But you know, I didn't have the full vocabulary for it. My supervisors most definitely didn't. And so it's just kind of like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And then I'd be like, you know what, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just, you know, but the thought process was there, like the seed was there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I felt like I worked my way sort of like, I always say like 75% of the way out of it. 
and that's kind of where like where many women I see sort of are like still body image issues, still not feeling like my body, you know, added up, not understanding that weight and health were not linked the way that we, you know, currently understand them to be, but just sort of oblivious to a lot of it. Yes. Um, and kind of muddling my way through, like, you know, fairly flexible eating. It was okay. It was okay. But then I had children and I had my, my first, you know, my body behaved. I always say like my body behaved, like it went back to the way it was supposed to be. But after the second, I just didn't lose the weight. Like I put on more weight in that pregnancy and I, it just didn't come off. And I just felt like there was something really wrong with my health. There had to be right. According to this philosophy that I had bought into, which was that weight and health like really intricately linked. And clearly there was something off in the way that I was eating or moving or my hormones or my adrenals or my sleep, you know, I had to fix it all. So I spent about two years, like, quote unquote, fixing it and exercising more and more and harder and harder and starting to see myself spiraling into that place of like, overly controlling food. And there was just a day where I was like, fuck this. Like, how did I end up back here? You know, my weight's not going down. And I am obsessing about food. I was on a really strict like paleo kind of protocol, exercising twice a day. And I was just I'm like, I'm missing life. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't health, you know. And when I it just brought me all the way back to when I was 21. And I was running and I was in this orthorexic kind of place. And my running coach said to me, you know, Jill, there's nothing healthy about being obsessed with health. Mm-hmm. and fully get it at that time. It stuck with me all through naturopathic school. It, it it totally influenced the way that I work with people, you know, like I have never been a naturopath, even when I didn't fully get, you know, what I understand now about health and weight and food and, and how these things play together. I was never someone who put people on really restrictive diets or really focused on weight because I just you know, this thing had always stuck with me that if you have to be this obsessed with health, (laughs) that it may not actually be healthy. (laughs) Yes. So at that point, I decided to reach out and get some help. And I worked with a mentor for like a short period of time. And, you know, just, you know, basically one of the most fundamental questions was like, as I took her through where I was at and where my weight was and how I ate and moved. And because even though, you know, I was strict, I was still flexible. Like I had vowed I would never go back to where I was when I was 21. You know, she just sort of asked the question, like, do you feel unwell? And I was like, wait a minute no, (laughs) I feel good. And you know, she's like, do you, do you like objectively feel like you're at a high risk of like heart disease or heart attack or cancer or diabetes? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like I move and I eat well and you know, I have fun. And you know, and she just sort of said like, I mean, I think you're okay. Like, I think you're healthy. I'd had blood work done. You know, I had, I had done all of the things to check on my health. And, and it was just so interesting to me because that was like never an option on the multiple choice test of health. Like you're fine. (laughs) Like your weight is higher, like your weight's higher than it's ever been, but you're fine. Like you're actually okay. You know, Mm -hmm. it was revolutionary. I mean, it's a simple question. Like, like what if maybe you're fine? I was like, what if maybe I'm fine? I'm fine. You know? And then obviously then you have to pull apart all of the underlying things that you've believed for so long. Right. So that was the shift moment. And then, you know, from that point on, it's really been like a seven year re-education in weight and health and how food and exercise, you know, how they play into it and how they don't. And essentially, 
you know, I had a very general naturopathic practice and it very, very slowly sort of went in the direction of just working with women until I got to the point where I realized it was actually really difficult to do kind of health at every size, helping women break out of obsessive patterns around food and disordered patterns with food and and body image, and also be working with patients who really require sort of like therapeutic some therapeutic food work and diet. Like it was just, it was confusing for patients and it was hard for me. So um, a couple of years ago, I just really closed down that part of the practice. Although, you know, I still refer people to naturopaths all the time. I really just focus on sort of intuitive eating, body image and breaking out of sort of like disordered, obsessive patterns with food. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm I'm so glad that you you shifted that way. And I think, yeah, that part of in your story about just kind of realizing, wait a minute, maybe there is nothing wrong with me is, is so I think that's going to resonate with so many people, because I think that so many of us think that we're problems that we need to be fixed because of the size of our body or because our bodies aren't doing what we think they should be doing. And the reality is just that we don't need to be like, we're fine. It's exactly as you said. And I I just feel like that's so important. And what more, you know, and the the next question is, you know, even if I wasn't like, what more could I possibly do? Mm -hmm. You know, like, even if this extra weight that I had on, like all of my blood work was good, you know, my energy's good, my body feels good. So even if this weight were actually a problem, like what more could I possibly do? Like I was already going into a place of, you know, dangerously treading the line of getting into disordered eating again, which we know triggers other unhelpful behaviors. Like it's sort of like, you know, as an adult, I guess I have the choice to go that direction. I could, I could decide to dedicate all of my time and energy and creativity and thought process. But you know, for me, that was not an option. That is not how I want to live my life. And I'm always really clear with the women I work with, because they do tend to, you know, want to hang on to this idea of like, but I want to get it off, you know, and it's like, well, you know, you're an adult, and you can choose to focus all of your energy there. But that's typically not who I work with. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to work with women who want to use their brains for other things. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's important to note, too, that, like, people just don't, it's, they don't know that there's another option. And diet culture really possesses people. So it's, it's so hard. Like, it's, it's, it's a hard decision to, to make to get to a point where you say, all right, I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm done with it because we've been just, we've been so brainwashed. Yeah. I've had women, um, sort of criticize when I have made comments about, you know, I I think I made a comment about when Oprah really sort of like bought into the whole Weight Watchers thing and I posted about it and I was, you know, I tend to not go that direction. I try to really focus on the positive, but for whatever reason, it just really got me that that day. And Mm -hmm. I posted Mm -hmm. something that was a bit critical of her Mm -hmm. and a woman in one of my, in my private Facebook group was sort of like, don't you feel though that we should support all women, like that we should be supporting women in their efforts, whatever they choose to do and whatever choices they make. And I said, yeah, sure. As long as they know all of their choices and options, right. And diet culture doesn't actually, it puts you in a box so that you have one option and you have many different ways to choose that same option. You know, like I, I liken it to when my kids were really little and I wanted them to wear a hat in the winter and I would offer them a red hat and a blue hat and a pink hat and they could choose. And they thought it was great because they made the choice. You know, I picked the pink hat when all I wanted them to do is put a hat on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what diet culture does is it gives you one option dressed up many different ways. And so 
yeah, I want to support women in their options and their choices, but I feel like my job is to make sure that they know all of their choices, all of the options, you know? And then if you want to keep dedicating yourself to the hamster wheel of diet culture, like, you know, you're an adult, do what you will with your life. But again, generally that's not who I work with, right? Like I work with women who, you know, they'll, they'll use the term. There's just this missing piece. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, here's the missing piece. I know the missing piece, you know, yeah. the missing piece is turn around and see that there's actually like this whole world. Yeah. And of, there's of, nothing wrong with you. <laughs> other options. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty great. So I, you know, one of the things I really want to talk to you about is nutritionism and, mm-hmm. and healthism. So can you, can you first just define what nutritionism is? Sure. Yeah. So nutritionism is, I mean, it's a term that was coined by Georgie Scrinis and it was made popular by Michael Pollan in his book, The Defense Against Food. And what it really describes is an ideology around nutrition that really predominates today, whereby, you know, the industry made up of doctors and nutritionists and dietitians and naturopaths really encourages us to look at food in terms of nutrients, like in terms of the building blocks that are in food, right? It's like an ideology where we study the minutia of food. Mm -hmm. And then from there, when we get these, you know, research-based evidence about the nutrients that are in food, we then go ahead and apply that information to make you know, sweeping nutritional recommend recommendations and, you know, like, quote unquote, nutritionally balanced diets. And, you know, on the surface, it kind of seems like not that bad of an idea, right? It's like, okay, the more we know, the better, right? Mm -hmm. But the issue with it is that it takes food out of context, it takes it out of the cultural, ecological, kind of like the lived way that we actually eat food. And at that reductive of a level, there's just so much that we can't know and don't know about how food interacts with each other. And so what ends up happening is we start getting a lot of really confusing, contradictory evidence, right? When we get to that nutrient level, we start seeing this study says, you know, saturated fat is good. And this study says saturated fat is bad. And you will just continue to find at this overly reductive level experts that will that can argue in either direction about the nutrients that are in food, right? Because we're totally, it's totally taken out of context and how we actually eat. And, you know, bigger than that, it just undermines the way that we think about food. It, it challenges our experience of our bodies and how we experience food. And, you know, anyone who's read anything about intuitive eating understands that when we're focused on the numbers, we're disconnected from our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And so this, this obsession with getting the numbers right, and the nutrients right, and the the micros and the macros, it just disconnects us from that intuition and the wisdom of our bodies. Yeah, and it just it, it causes Think about how much time that takes, like all the the thought process that has to go into that if you're following some kind of protocol that's that's built from that it like you think about how much 
energy that would drain from your life because you're essentially trying to do like a math equation. And I I, I live my life like that. So I, I remember, <laughs> like I had an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it was... yeah, I can't, I can't quite, I can't quite remember the study, but I remember that there was a study like when I was in my early twenties, that was like, that showed that people who believed they ate well, were actually like healthier. <laughs> and I remember when I was in the throes of orthorexia, just being like, I wish I didn't know all this stuff. Right. Like I, I wish I could just go back to the me that just like ate whole foods and work a balance of work food and play food and didn't stress about it because yeah, that, you know, what I see or what I saw in my practice, what I do see in the women I work with is this perpetual health anxiety that is born out of it and an inability to make good decisions because you're so caught up in all of the contradictions and the confusion that is being sold to us all the time, you know, because on top of this, on top of studying things at a really reductive level, you know, studying the minutia that is contradictory, you know, then the media also reports it in in a really sensational way. So often takes that information even further out of context or sensationalizes it even more. And so there's all of this like fear and anxiety around making food choices when in reality, you know, what we know about eating well you know, on, in a, in a bigger way and a broader perspective hasn't really changed in like 50 to a hundred years, you know, like eat whole foods, don't eat too many processed things, eat lots of vegetables and fruits. Like these things haven't actually changed, you mm-hmm. know, and, and they really are the foundation of every single one of these, like super prescriptive, nutritionally balanced diets. Like that's the core, yeah. you know, yeah. is, is these very same foundational principles that again, just haven't really changed. And yet we're more and more anxious and continually trying to like get it right when, you know, the best way to get it right would just be to relax a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That health anxiety is, is huge. And I think, you know, the internet has created so many, like just exasperates that because everywhere you look, you can find evidence that like you said, like either supports or refutes a certain way of eating. And totally. the bigger issue is that it's, it's just so moralized. Like, what are your, yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the moralization of, of health? Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, there's definitely a feeling in the naturopathic world, I would say, I want to speak for myself, I don't want to speak for others. But, you know, to be pursuing health is just, you know, to be continually pursuing health and eating in a very specific way is the ideal way to be, you know, and I would say that there was definitely periods of time where I and I know other people that were in the program um, or who graduated from the program would actually sort of like hide eating play foods, you know, because it was this thing that was actually like looked down upon. And it's just so unfortunate because there's not only is there room in our diet for so many different foods, but I would argue that it's required, you know, like I was, I did, um, you know, like a a Facebook live last week talking about work food and play food. And the analogy that I use with kids is like, you know, and I love analogies for kids because I think that they resonate with adults because they're so simple to understand, you know, but it's like you go to school all week and that's super important. Like it's like so important to go to school all week because you learn. But imagine if you had to go to school for the rest of your life without any weekends, you know, Mm -hmm. how would you learn then? 
You know, how much could you actually take in and, and helping them understand that the weekends fuel the school week, you know, and the learning in the school week as much as the school week does. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with work food and play food. Like they work together to help our health, you know, and to encourage digestion and metabolism and absorption. Like they really have functions. Both have really important functions. And so when we get into this like place of moralizing, you know, it doesn't allow for the free exploration of food and how it fits into our lives, right? It's like we're so worried about getting it right and being, you know, smart and being correct and and fitting in that we can't actually, again, it's just, I feel like it's just another way that we disconnect from our bodies, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. what we should be doing as opposed to what's actually of value to us. And that's different for every person. You know, I, I'm sure that there are people who genuinely value spending their time preparing and eating in a super clean way, but there are plenty of people who also don't, you know, and, you know, we don't, force people to be interested in sports and we don't force people to be interested in drama or chemistry. And yet we seem to want to force people to be interested in nutrition. Yes. And I just don't know, how is that fair? You know, Mm -hmm. how is it fair? Definitely. You know, it's a health it's, you know, if you want to think about it in terms of like it's health. And so, yeah, we should have general understandings about it. Like you want to have a general understanding of your body and how your body functions and your body parts, but you don't need to know, you know, have a surgical level education (laughs) in your body to be well, you know, and it's the same with food. You don't need to have, you know, this nutritionism level understanding of food in order to eat well. And in fact, it could actually do the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Because if it's making your mental health, if you're putting your mental health in a really bad position, or even your physical health, because you you may have taken out so many nutrients or macronutrients or calories that your body actually needs. Like I think that's one of the biggest things that I see with clients is that they still think they're eating too much. And I'm like, you're not eating enough. Like that's, yeah, that's why you're still binging is because you know, there's this idea, especially for women that we're supposed to eat these really small portions. And, you know, like, not a lot of carbs or whatever. And it's, it's such bullshit. And it creates, you know, that that binge cycle. And it's like, you're restricting and you, you don't even know you're still restricting. Yeah, and it's absolutely. one of the biggest I things I see. Yeah, that was absolutely something that I had to like, it was one of the things I kind of learned along the way as I because you know, there's certain things that I- help women pull out of this binge eating cycle. And yet, yeah, they, you know, women who, who definitely have something going on with their health. So for health reasons have cut out certain things like gluten, for example, but then they don't replace it with enough carbohydrate, you know, and it, and they seem to believe that it's totally fine to just, you know, eat really restricted carbohydrates in a really restricted way and then can't understand why they're staying in this reactive place with food. But that was something that it took me a little while to catch, you know, Mm -hmm. because I thought, you know, working out of some of these things. But yeah, definitely. I think that this on top of being obsessed with, you know, the nutrients that are in our food, you know, quality of food, is it organic? Is it local? Where does it come from? And then also quantity, you know, these things all, you know, they're all part of the same package that pushes people, I think, I believe, away from listening to their body. Because if you're not eating enough, your body's telling you you're not eating enough, you know, and you have to really be overriding things to believe that there's 
that your body's fine. You know, you have to really be disconnected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Superfit Hero. I am so excited to partner with Superfit Hero. When I asked you, my dear audience, which brands to reach out to, many of you mentioned them. Superfit Hero makes the best leggings on the planet. They were designed after four months of fit testing with athletes of different body sizes. Superfits don't slip, fall, roll, or pinch. They are squat-proof, sweat-proof, and have great big pockets. Best of all, they are size-inclusive, and they feature diverse models and body types on their website. So you can see how their stuff will fit on your actual body. I love their website. Superfit Hero, designed for confidence, made with love in Los Angeles. Go to superfithero.com and save 15% off your first order by entering the code SUMMER, that's S-U-M-M-E-R, at checkout. So, you know, we've we've unpacked a lot of the issues around nutritionism and being hyper-focused on health, but I'm curious to know, you know, what your suggestion is for people to undo the things that they've learned. Because, you know, we can't... We can't unknow what we know. <laughs> so what are what are some suggestions that you have for people who are trying really hard not to think about food that way anymore? Right. right. Like how much how much, you know, omegas they're getting or whatever, whatever, you know. <laughs> yes. Um well, I think that this plays into I mean, it requires a re-education in health, right? And it requires it takes a long time because people need a lot of evidence. They need a lot of information. They need experiences. But what I typically focus on is really educating them around how much food actually plays into our health Mm -hmm. and how much anxiety and stress and stigma around food and weight, how that affects our health. Like I feel like that is very helpful for people to learn about, right? And understanding that you know, what we see in the evidence is that stigma and anxiety and stress around food and weight have a much, they, they have a huge impact on our health, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's highly underreported or under discussed or under identified, you know, that this anxiety that we have around food and weight is actually potentially the problem more than the foods themselves. Yeah, I feel like that's where I focus. And then I think I also try once we really, once I can really pull women out of that um, diet mentality, which again, takes a while, you know, to pull them out of that is really focusing on what, first of all, like what health is to them, you know, because so often we talk about health, 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 I want health, I'm pursuing health. Like what is health? You know, like what does it actually look like to you? And often people can't... (laughs) They can't really define it. You know, it's just this, it's this like pie in the sky unicorn that they're after and they're not even totally sure. And so we talk about that, you know, so if, if health is, you know, having the resources, the mental, emotional, physical resources to live the life you want to live, you know, what does that look like? How much energy do you think you would have? You know, what kinds of things would you be doing through the day? How much time would you actually have to devote to food if that was only the the means or the resource to get you living your life, yes. the life that you really want to live? Like, that's not the life. You know, that's not the ultimate goal. That's just the means to get there. So how much time do you actually want to dedicate to it? 
you know, mm-hmm. do you want to spend all day in the kitchen? Do you want to spend all day Googling paleo recipes? Or do you want to find a simpler, more basic way to eat where you can maintain your energy levels and then live your life, right? Yes. Yes. And still eat the things you want to eat, like when you want to eat them, which is so good. <laughs> right. And that's often, it's often a continuum, right? Like there are some people who would want to dedicate more time to food and exercise. And then there's people who really don't want to dedicate that much time at all, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, that's interesting too. When, like, I always find it very interesting when people are resistant to spending any time at all. Um, I think that's also an interesting conversation to have because, you know, ultimately, I think that as humans, we want to live fulfilling, happy lives, right? And it's difficult to live a really fulfilling, happy life when you feel bad. So when someone wants to spend no time working towards um, feeling mentally, emotionally, and physically well, I sort of, that's a whole other conversation. But, mm-hmm. I don't see that as much, you know, what I see is people who are actually like dedicating so much time and energy and effort to this thing that they think will bring the happy life, (laughs) but they're actually missing out on the happy life because they're spending all of the time (laughs) focusing on food and exercise, you know? Yeah. So you talk about, um, authentic health. What do you mean by that? Well, for me, it's like, so they talk about this in intuitive eating, but I feel like I have kind of changed it. So I don't want to attribute it to them because I feel like I have taken the idea that they had and then really shifted it. But I kind of think of it as a Venn diagram. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a, it's mm-hmm. like two circles and then they overlap in the middle. Yep. And again, I've like basically bastardized this from intuitive eating. So I don't, you know, this isn't what they say, but this is the way that I get women to, to sort of draw it out is in one circle, it's like right down, you know, if you think about a time or a space, you know, where you've eaten in a certain way that's made you feel really like physically well, right? And it's like, you know, the things, you know, hydration and eating greens or whatever it is, I'm not sure. But it's like, I want you to list the foods and the way that you eat when you're feeling your physical best. And then in the other circle, I want you to think about like your mental emotional health, and like all of the things that are really incredibly important to you. So this could include things like, you know, having the flexibility to eat out a few times a week because it just saves your mental health, not having to prepare food every single day. It could include, you know, being able to freely eat on the holidays to socially go out and enjoy yourself. I I often encourage people to have non-negotiables in there, especially when we're doing this work. Like I will never go back to dieting again. You know, I will never go back to intense food restriction. My peace, anything that costs me my peace is my, my, peaceful frame of mind is too expensive. You know, like we, we really hash out sort of like what is required for enjoyment around food and the mental, emotional pleasure of of food. And then where those circles cross in the middle, like that's authentic health, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's great in an ideal world to know that eating X, Y, Z makes you feel your physical best. But the reality is the lived experience is that it's going to be it's going to need to be probably more flexible than that in order to meet your whole health needs. Yes. Does that land? Does that make sense? It makes total sense to me because I think most people are missing that circle on the right. If I'm, if I'm picturing it correctly, you know, I think everyone's or most people at least are think that everything is determined by the physical health bubble. 
And right. um, as we right. know, and I think I'm trying to remember the percentage. I know maybe you know it too, but you know Linda Bacon talks about it in her book Body like Respect. Seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, it's something. Yeah. It's less than twenty yeah. percent of our yeah. health is yeah. determined by. Is it food and exercise that's in that percentage? I think it's not just food. I think anyways, it's in body respect for those of you looking for it. And Mark Mark David from the Institute for the Psychology of Health also has a book. And and what I love about it, although it's a little bit focused on weight, so that's not, you know, I don't love that so much. It's because it's like, you know, but it talks about the eight factors that affect our metabolism and like quality of food is just one. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love putting it in that perspective for people that like relaxation and awareness and pleasure. Pleasure is such a driving force for our digestion and metabolism. Like how we actually absorb nutrients Mm -hmm. is affected by how much we enjoy food. Like how incredible is that? Yeah. And oh my gosh, the whole conversation of pleasure is so interesting because pleasure is political. I mean, you know, we, I always kind of hear that conversation in feminist circles as it relates to sexual pleasure, but it Mm -hmm. really applies to food too, because we, you know, as women, just in terms of our relationship with food and our bodies, it's like forbidden to experience pleasure, pleasure with food. You know, it's like, it's like, oh no. It's shameful. It's shameful. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So it's, uh, that's something to really reclaim is, is pleasure with food. So I love, I love that you mentioned that because, it should be pleasure. And it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, everything tastes amazing, but it should just allow for more pleasure in your life, really. Like it, whether it tastes good or whether it saves you time so you have energy to focus on other things, like whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And as a driving force, you know, it's like, it's a really incredible driving force for, and, and, it, and it's energy giving as opposed to sucking energy away from you. You know, when we pursue pleasure, it fills us with energy. It fills us with health. If that's how, you know, (laughs) if that's how we're going to define health as having the resources to do the things we want to do, you know? And, and again, I think sometimes women get stuck when I, when I bring this up, they get stuck in this sort of like hedonistic, like over the top view of pleasure. And I think you sort of have already said it, but pleasure doesn't always, you know, pleasure isn't always the cupcake. You know, there's days where pleasure for me is, green things, you know, there's days where pleasure is chocolate and there's days where pleasure is sweet potatoes. And, you know, there's days where pleasure is, like you said, it doesn't even have to taste that good. It just needs to fill me up so I can keep doing the thing that, you know, I'm in flow and I'm loving what I'm doing and I just need to get something in my body so I can keep going. You know, it's like pleasure can mean all kinds of things, you know, and, and can fuel us in lots of different ways. Yeah. So I love, I love the conversation around pleasure and, and this idea that, you know, there are just so many things that fuel our metabolism and our digestion and our nutrition, um, or sorry, our nutrient absorption that have nothing to do with quality of food. You know, Mm. the story that we're telling, the thoughts we're having, you know, these things affect the way that we break down food. Yes. And how we feel in our bodies. Like I think Uh it's so huge. It can just completely tilt your relationship with food. Yeah. It's amazing. Energy is often like low energy is one of the things that many women report when we start working together and without, without ever working directly on it, it's amazing to see how much energy goes up from just living in a different place where energy is actually freed up (laughs) because Mm -hmm. our thought process is freed up and women are able to work in 
areas that actually make them feel creative and flowy and pleasurable and, and life filled, you know, instead of in this place of fear and anxiety and worry all the time, like that is draining. It drains your energy. Yeah, exactly. So important. Could you have time to quickly talk about how you instill this with your kids? Cause I know you have two kids. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how I instill sort of like a more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's something that especially if a parent has had a history with dieting and maybe, you know, their, their kids are, have kind of absorbed a little bit of that. And now the the parents have kind of gone through a bit of an evolution, but they want to, they want to pass, they want to change things up so their kids can kind of come along with them on this process. Right. Right. Okay. So two things here. And it's really interesting because I have two daughters and one is just naturally very lean, you know, and the other is naturally very round. You know, she just has more fat on her body naturally. They're both very, I would say that they're both generally quite intuitive eaters because I've, because children are born with that, right? Like they are born being intuitive eaters. And it's generally when we start to override them, like, no, no, you can't possibly be hungry again, you know, like, or forcing them to clean their plate or, or really limiting or restricting foods that sets up this power imbalance with food that kids start to go off track. So for me, I mean, basically I follow Ellen Satter. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, yes. Um, yes. but she's written just like foundational books on feeding children. And really it's all about the division of responsibility. So it's my responsibility as a parent to provide nutritionally balanced meals, combinations of work food and play food to set the stage for eating. So like where we eat and when we eat. And then that's where my responsibility ends. And the kids responsibility is whether or not they're going to eat and how much and sort of like what they choose to eat on the table. And so I really adhere to this. Like I really stick with it. So um, we're not forcing them to eat things. We're not really being meticulous about how much they eat of one specific thing or another, because I know that kids generally like, again, if they are provided with, you know, mostly nutritious foods, they will naturally balance themselves out, but they'll balance themselves out over like weeks and months, you know, like um, my one daughter will, you know, she'll eat like, it's almost like, it almost looks like binge eating. Like I'm like, slow down, you know, chew. Like we call her the snake sometimes because it's like food just goes in in these mass quantities. And, and, you know, she's this little beanpole, you know, Mm -hmm. but then there's other times where she's going through a growth spurt or something's happening and she barely touches food, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's, there's periods of time where the kids really are, you know, loading up on carbohydrates. And then there's other times where they surprisingly take a third portion of salad, you know, but the point is, is we let them have that control over Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. they eat. And that allows them to explore in a really non-judgmental way around food. The other thing is when we're out of the house, we just let it all go. So if they're at parties or holidays or whatever, it's like they, they can just pick and choose what they want to eat. You know, like if we go to a party and they eat, you know, two clementines and like a piece of cake, great, you know, but there are also plenty of times where it's really interesting to see our kids say, could you just take the piece of cake and put it away for later? Cause I'm kind of full now. You know, like they don't have this compulsion to eat the play food because play food's always available, you know, play food and food. And there really isn't a huge distinction except for how we culturally in the lived experience eat food, Mm -hmm. right? Which is that we generally eat work food more of the time, 
you know, and, and again, I would say modeling is so huge, right? Like so much of the time when I, cause I do work with parents and kids so much of the time you have to work with the parent. It's mm-hmm. the parent actually is, has a misunderstanding about weight and health and where food falls into it. Yeah. And how do you help parents take weight stigma out of it? Cause uh, I don't know, it just kind of popped into my head when you were talking about your daughter who can just, you know, sometimes eat, eat whatever tons mm-hmm. and she's a beanpole, but Maybe if she wasn't a beanpole, a parent would, you know, be kind of looking at it through a different lens because of weight stigma. So, you know, how do you, which I think, yeah, obviously we really need to fight against. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, the reality is it still pops up in me sometimes, right? Like I'm a human and I live in this culture and it doesn't matter that I do this work. It, you know, you know, even doing this work, weight hate can pull up in us, you know, and this, and the, and the ideals of the culture. And so what I, I use them as an example a lot because every now and then I'll catch myself wanting to say no to Pippa. That's my like rounder, delicious daughter. I just love, she's just amazing. And, you know, and they're a great example because they both eat intuitively and they're both in different bodies Mm -hmm. and trying to force either one of them into the other's body would be a huge mistake, Mm -hmm. you know? And so one of the examples that I'll use is when I catch myself in that place of wanting to say, like having that instinct to be like, no, you know, it's to ask the question, if this were Winnie, if this were my other daughter, would I have this instinct? Yeah. You know, and if the answer is no, then this is weight stigma. Yes. Okay. She can eat the food. She can eat the fucking food because she is allowed to make food choices for herself and her body shape should not be dictating what she's allowed to eat or not. Okay. You know? Yes. And so, and I'll use the same. It's like, and if they don't have, you know, sometimes people don't have other children or they don't have different body types. It's like, you know, would you say this to a kid who is in a straight sized ideal body? Or mm-hmm. would you think this? Mm-hmm. And if you wouldn't, then it's wrong. You know, it's just wrong. Yeah. Because, you know, the nutritional requirements or sorry, the nutritional recommendations and the exercise recommendations for a healthy kid should be the same for all kids, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So if it's something that you wouldn't say, then it's it's probably not appropriate. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. I'm so glad you I'm so glad you shared that experience that experience because I feel like that's gonna help a lot of people listening. I always get emails or comments in my Facebook group from parents who are kind of, you know, trying to work this out with themselves and then also teach their kids. And it's that's a whole other level <laughs> to, yeah, because, to pass because, it along. You know, right. And when it comes to kids, I would just say one I don't know if we have to we have to sort yeah, of wrap things up, no, but you got to um you know, it's not just quantity of food, like kids pick up when we're moralizing food, they pick up on it. And the research has shown that those kids end up, you know, overriding their bodies later in life, and end up struggling with food and weight more than if they are allowed to sort of develop this natural, their natural instincts around food. And one of my favorite, favorite things that Ellen Satter says that I repeat all the time, is it's my goal to raise competent eaters, not healthy eaters. You know, kids who can exist in a world where there are all kinds of foods and who can listen to their bodies and make good choices for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the goal. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Well, on that note, now we'll wrap it up and I'll link to Ellen Satter in the show notes. So for those of you, it is, I actually, I haven't read it, but it's my go-to for anyone who's a parent because it's just not my wheelhouse and I've heard so many good things about it. So I'm glad that you endorse, endorse it as well. So yeah, with that, with that being said, where can people find more of you and your work? 
Right now, um, I'm at www.kingstonnaturopath.ca, um, although that might change in the next few months. But the program that I run is called the Food Freedom Body Love Method. And you can Google that. I'm on Instagram as Food Freedom Body Love. I'm on Facebook as that. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually launching a collective in the new year, launching in March, where we will be focusing on health from a health at every size, non-diet perspective in like that really beautiful, like juicy, cozy, pleasure driven way that's so often forgotten about and difficult to find. So, um, this is something that will be coming up, you know, really shortly after this airs. Yes. Cause even though we said new year, it's actually, we're recording February. this in 2017. It's going to go live <laughs> in 2018. So Ooh. it'll be your, that stuff will be there really soon. And if you have the link for it, when this goes live, then yes, it, I'll send it. it'll be, it'll be in the show. It'll be in the show notes. So check out the show notes for the link for the link to that as well. Cause that sounds really great. Well, Jillian, thank you so much for being here today. This is such good information. I loved chatting with you and also love that you're a fellow Canadian. Yeah. I know. I know. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you and your work and just everything that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. Rock on. There was such good stuff in that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find the links mentioned at summerinina.com forward slash 110. Thank you again for being here today. I will see you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.